Amen. You know, it's really great to know that God always sees more in us than we see in ourselves. And it's a great song for today. Well, I want to talk a little bit about deacons today. And actually, if you look in your, your order of worship today, you see that, that sign that says, Charge to the Candidates. People said, are you preaching today? I said, oh, yeah, that's the charge. Okay, so it's a challenge, but here's the great part. It is not just for these two men. It's not just for the men that make our ordained council, but it really is for each one of us today. And it simply is this, to be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus, serving him by serving others. Our, our teaching point says this. We are, we are setting apart two people today, two, two young men today, to this office of deacon. And you might be saying, well, what exactly um, is a deacon? Well, it seems that two young men had the same question. They were sitting in a service, not around tables, but they were sitting in a service, a deacon ordination, and one was the pastor's son, and one was his friend. And so they're sitting there, you know, trying to be quiet, and they start whispering. And so his, the friend says to the pastor's son, he goes, what are they doing? And the pastor's son, they're making deacons. Oh, oh, he goes, well, what is a deacon? And the pastor's son said, I'm not really sure. He goes, but I've heard they own the devil. And, and the little boy says, own the devil? How do you know that? He said, well, the other night my daddy was telling my mama that one of them gave him the devil. <laughs> well, I was hoping it would go over better than that, but that's all right. That's why I don't tell jokes, okay? That's why I don't tell jokes. But So what is a deacon? What is a deacon? Because in so many different churches... Um, it means many, many different things. Well, the word deacon is derived from the word deaconos, deaconos, and it's a standard ancient word meaning servant. In other words, when a man agrees to be a servant and when a Christ follower chooses to follow Christ, then we are all becoming servants. I like the word waiting man, and I think that has two applications. It has the idea of a man who is patient. A man who's patient with God and patient with others, okay? But also, I think it's that servant idea. Just like when you go to a restaurant and there's a servant there, your server there. The waiting man is someone who's willing to serve. He's also a minister. There are times um, when our deacons go visit people in the hospitals. um, They go visit people at home. um, Just always available to minister. And, of course, the last one says that he is a messenger. He carries the message of the Lord Jesus. Christ. So a deacon is many things, but most of all, he is a servant. He is a servant. So the story goes something like this in Matthew in chapter 20. Um, this is all right before, right before the cross. And so in Matthew chapter 20, we, we see this lining up. And so what happens is, is that the mama of James and John goes to Jesus and said, hey, will you promise to do something like a blank check, you know? And Jesus says, well, what you got on your mind? And she said, well, I would like for my two sons, James and John, also known as the sons of, sons of thunder, I would like my two sons to sit one on your left and one on your right. And Jesus said, well, um, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And the boy spoke up and said, we can drink the cup. And he goes, well, actually, this is not mine to give anyway. It belongs only to my father. Okay. Well, anyway, so then guess who's listening? 
Well, the other ten guys are listening, and they get all snarky mad about it because they hear what Mama's saying, let them be number one and number two, and they're saying, where does that leave us at? And so they got all mad about it. So Jesus has to run interference, okay? And so he takes as a teaching moment, and Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus called them, the twelve over, calls them over and said, you know... You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And, oh, they knew all about this because of the Roman occupation. You know, there was Pilate and all these guys. Caesar, of course, on the bigger level. Herod, all these different ones. And when he said, you know, they did know. They knew all about how the rulers of the Gentile lorded over the people. And they said, and, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. And they all went, oh, yeah, we know all about this. We, we understand this very well, Jesus. And then in verse 26 and 27, he makes a very big point. He says, it must not be like that among you. It must. There are no room, Jesus said, in, in the family, there's no room for tyrants. There's no room for those in high positions who wants to be big in the church There's simply no room for them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, he says, in a matter of fact, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. If you want to be big in church, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be big in church, whether it be a deacon, a pastor, or or any just a lay person, if you want to be big in church, you've got to be willing to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Now that is so like, what? That's so opposite of what we expect in the world. And again, this is not, he's not talking to a pastor. He's not talking to deacons. He's talking to his followers, his disciples. And he's telling them that the, the mode of operation for my family, for my church, is that there are no tyrants. There's no this way or the highway. And, and if a deacon is anything, he's a servant. And if pastors are anything, anything they're servants. And if Jesus' followers are anything, they're servants. So here's the deal. If you want to be a Big Mac, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be a Big Mac, you've got to be willing to be a slave. Well, Dwayne, what's a Big Mac? Oh, that's a big man around church. If you want to have power and authority, you've got to be willing to serve those that you encounter at the church. It must not be like a tyrant. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. says, each one, each person, each believer, each Christ follower, each one should use whatever gift he has received to do what? To serve others. Preachers, serve others. Deacons, serve others. Jesus' followers serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. That's what being a deacon is about, and that's what being a Christ follower is all about. Now, he continues, Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 20, verse 8, when he said, listen, it must not be like this among you. He says, just as the Son of Man, hey, just like him speaking, hey, just like me, just like me, did not come. I did not come to be served, but to serve. That's how it be with you. And, and deacons, that's how it must be with us. 
Pastors, that's how it must be with us. Lay people, that's how it be with us. Just like Jesus did not come to serve. Listen, listen. A church that is consumer-driven is a church that's in trouble. The church is not a country club. The church is not where you gain ground to sway your influence in the group. The church is a hospital. A church is a place where sick people come who know they're sin sick. And where they find the healing power of Jesus Christ. And that's a place for each one of us to become PAs and, and MDs in the kingdom. To minister and to love and to love on the hurting and the sick. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom. I was going to share it with you. You know, when the two boys were up here, the two guys, someone needs to tell them something. That in Acts chapter 6, when the first guy named was who? Stephen. The first deacon's name was Stephen. Yeah. Guess who was the first martyr in the New Testament? Stephen. Stephen. And I'm sure there's some deacons sitting here, or perhaps you're, you've been to some other churches, and feel like, yeah, I know what it means to be a martyr. I know what it means to be a martyr. But Jesus says we are to be like him. So our teaching point is this. It was said... The measure of a man's greatness is not the number of servants he has, but the number of people he serves. And Ryan and, Ryan and Chris, I want to challenge you to make that your, your, your mantra for life. How many people can I serve? Men, I am so pleased to serve with you guys because I know your lives. I've served with you for 22 years. And I'm glad to report to you that we have deacons who serve. We have deacons who serve. And we need to pray that God will continue to let us be known, not for the number of servants we have, but for the number of people that we serve. Well, there's another story. And actually, it's right next to Matthew 20, but it's John chapter 13. But it kind of flows right along um, together. Imagine we're in the upper room. And imagine it's Thursday night. It's Passover. And the boys are sitting around the table with Jesus, and there's a lot of chatty Kathy going on. You know, we, it's so funny. We have a hard time realizing, really, we, we think about the guys and Jesus together, and we think about being so sober and solemn. And that would be so not Jesus. He was a man of joy. It was a joy to follow him. And I can imagine these guys um, as they're sitting there. And then in verse number three, there's the most powerful verse. In that upper room that night, The Bible says Jesus knew something. Now write this down if you're taking notes today. What Jesus knew determined what he did. And Chris and Ryan, I want to tell you right now, what Jesus knew determined what he did, and what you know about Jesus will determine what you do. And men on these these 20 chairs at the front, I'm telling you right now, what we know about Jesus will determine what we do. And it's true for Jesus' followers. The more we know about Jesus and who he is and what he did, we will do what Jesus did. So, he knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. So his presence, his right now, his right then, was in the hands of God. And then that he, was, he had come from God. He could look in the past and he could remember the times that he was in heaven with the Father. And the grand plan uh, was, was displayed for all of the galaxies to see. That, that God was going to become flesh, become man. And that man was going to grow and he's going to die on a cross and resurrect the third day for the redemption of mankind. He knew what the past was. And he knew 
He was going back to God. No matter what the next 36 hours held, he was going back to God. Let what you know determine what you do. And what you know is Jesus Christ. So they're in the upper room. And verse number four and five, it says this. So he got up from supper. Now, you've got, to be, you've got to be there with me. You've got to see the table. They're reclining on different shoulders, um, stretched out. Again, everyone's kind of chatty, just enjoying the time of fellowship together. And then somebody notices something. Jesus is standing up. Jesus is standing up. And he gets up from supper. He lays aside his robe, his outer robe. Then he takes a large towel And he ties it around himself. And everybody's going, what's he doing? What's he doing? And he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And then to dry them with a towel tied around him. And see, here's the deal. Someone didn't show up for work. Someone didn't plan. You know, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Someone either didn't plan or, or the guy they hired because you always had a lowly servant to wash the people's feet. It was just standard protocol. And everybody realizes no one washed anybody's feet. And now there's Jesus. And he's got a towel around his waist. And he's got a basin of water. And he starts going around and washing the disciples' feet, and then to dry them. Trust me, of all the things they thought about that day, you couldn't have shocked them more if you tried. And it happened. And he went from one to one to one. He knelt before a guy named Judas, who in just a very few minutes, He would look Judas in the eye and say, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. And Jesus, excuse me, Judas slips from the room and goes and begins the process of betraying Jesus. But before he left, Jesus washed his feet. Jesus washed his feet. Who's the Judas in your life? Who's the Judas? In your life. Jesus washed. Jesus feet. Oh and there was Simon. Not Peter. Simon the zealot. He probably killed a few guys. He was an enemy. He, he saw Rome as the enemy. And he was going to eradicate Rome. From Israel. The army way. And yet he, Jesus knelt before. The guy who told and said, if, you're, if your enemy offends you, if he slaps your cheek, you turn the other cheek. But Jesus kneels down and washes the feet of Simon the zealot. Oh, and then there were the thunders of thunder. Remember the ones who mama said, hey, would you let my boys be number one and number two? And they said, we can do it, Jesus, we can do it. He kneels down before James and John. And begins washing their feet too. There's a guy named Thomas. Who after the resurrection said. Unless I can put my finger in his hand. And my hand in his side. I will not believe. Well. Jesus knelt 
down before Thomas and washed his feet too. Oh, and then there was Matthew. Matthew was one of the enemies before Jesus called him. He's the one who took everybody's money. He worked for Rome. Yet Jesus invited him to be part of the group. I bet that caused a ruckus in the disciples. And then Jesus kneels down and washes Matthew's feet. And then there's Peter. And then there's Peter. Peter, who just a few hours would deny he even knew the man, Jesus. And yet Jesus kneels down and begins to wash his feet. And that calls Peter to say in verse number 6, you know, he said, he said, so he came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, I understand those other guys, but, but Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said, look, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. And of course, Peter got a little snarky, you know, got a little bit upset. You will never wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part in me. And then again, Peter, like so many, overspeaks and says, Oh, well, in that case, Jesus, don't wash just don't just wash my feet. Wash my head and my hands. And uh, I can hear Jesus sighing, Peter, Peter, Peter. No. Listen, the person who's already been bathed doesn't need to be bathed again. You just need your feet washed, Peter. And Jesus. It goes on, it goes on and says in verse number 28, and finishes that thought. I'm sorry, verse number, ah, excuse me, I'm sorry. So, in verse number 12. So, so, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and asked them this question. Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I've done for you? Somebody surely said, you washed our feet. And Jesus said, well, that's right. I washed your feet. But, but there, was something, there was something more. See, the teaching point is this. You know, Jesus did not do something to them. He did something for them. And what did he do? He taught them a powerful lesson on being a servant just like him. And that's what today is all about. This all is a lesson like Jesus taught. It's a lesson for us to serve just like him. So he goes on, verse number 13. You you call me, he said. You call me teacher and Lord. Let that soak in. Don't run past that. You call me teacher and Lord. And guess what? You are speaking rightly since that's exactly what I am. So, if I, the teacher and the Lord, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I'm the guy, you know, it's really cool. I don't remember who said this, but I think it was Andy Stanley. You know, you know 
Jesus was the only guy who could walk into any room and be the most important person. And yet that most important person washes feet. And he says, so, so if I, your Lord and Master, have, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. See that word ought? It's a moral obligation. It's a moral obligation. Obligation. You are, he's saying, you are morally obligated as my disciples to wash other people's feet. Okay? He, he would tell us today, does tell us today, that we have this moral obligation. Now, fortunately, we don't believe in the ordinance of foot washing, but we should be willing. We should be willing. I'm trying to decide if this is going to come out backwards or not. I'm not sure when. But a long time ago, when we started this all-star cleanup thing, somehow it became me and Judy's job to help clean the bathrooms. And so we cleaned the toilets. And I was sharing with someone just the other day, actually the last, day, the last Saturday, I said something about cleaning toilets, and she goes, wait, you clean toilets? Like, like... Pastor aren't supposed to clean toilets. And why not? And why not? I remember they asked me to do a deacon deal at First Baptist Church of Marion. I gave them a toilet brush. I said, here is the symbol of your service. Being willing to wash a toilet. If, if I've done this, then you ought to be willing to wash another's feet. It includes the Judases in your life. It includes the Thomases, people who doubt you. Um, it includes the James and John who said, I want to be the most important. It includes all of those folks. You ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. That's it. That's what today's about. Chris and Ryan, that's what you are signing up for. To be just like Jesus. You're not policemen. You're not governors. You're not a government in the church. You are just Jesus' servants. Who we are setting apart to lead the way as Jesus' servants. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You should do. I'll give you an example. You should do what I've done. And then verse number 17, he kind of closes it up. He says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You're going to find the most joy in your Christian walk when you serve like Jesus. I've always said this. I've always said. Some people will say, what is the secret of Dorisville? And I believe one of the great secrets of Dorisville is service. During COVID, mm, we came that close to messing up. All of a sudden, it became about us. All of a sudden, the mask, no mask, and all that. Well, I want this, and I want that. And we almost lost it. But we didn't. And God is faithful. And I'm glad to look you in the eye today and say, I'm so proud that Dorisville Baptist Church is a church that knows how to serve others. In fact, when people talk about Dorisville, most of the time, they talk about it as a church that serves others. So our last teaching point is this. Jesus served others. It was always about somebody else and not himself. Jesus served others. So pastors, what should pastors do? 
Serve others. Serve others. What should deacons do? Come on out. I understand the joke didn't go over, but this should go over well. Okay, so Jesus served others. Pastors should. There you go. Deacons should. And we all should serve others. Why? Why? It's because of who he is. It's who we are. And it is what we do. It is what we do. You know, Chris and Ryan, the calling on your life, again, it's what every person, every person, you know, experiences what you're experiencing. But you are called as leaders to lead the way as servants, as servants. Men, you know this. You've seen this over 22 years. That is our call. And, and sometimes Brent and I may need to be reminded that's what we are. We're not dictators or bosses. This is not our church. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. Would you mind bowing your heads right where you are? I'm just going to lead us a prayer of blessing. And then I'm going to ask um, the two men to come and sit in the chairs that you have now in front of the baptistry. And I'm going to ask Brother Brent to lead the way. Um, and laying on of hands. And again, this is nothing magical or mystical. It's a conveyance of a blessing, praying for God's blessings on their life. And then it takes this wonderful opportunity to be leaders in service. Leaders in service. Father, thank you so much for the privilege today of sharing your word, for experiencing what we have experienced. And Father, I do thank you. I want to pray loudly and publicly I thank you, Father, for these two men. I know their lives. I've seen their lives. I know their hearts. I know the hearts of their families. And, Father, thank you that they were willing to pick up the mantle, pick up the basin, and pick up the towel and be willing to symbolically and perhaps realistically wash the feet of others. So as we lay our hands of blessings on their lives, that is what we pray. May you, Father, be a blessing on their lives. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.